All right, here we go. Can you guys hear me? Testing one, two, three, four. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, yeah, that looks like everything's working. All right. Hey, Sean, can you hear me? Type something out if you can hear me. Can you hear me? Hello, hello, hello. Can you hear me? Okay, awesome. All right, good deal. Um, I thought I could do this through uh, Firefox, but I had to install uh, uh, Chrome, although I hate Chrome because it slows everything down. But, uh, yeah, so. Well, I'm glad you can hear me, and, and welcome to Kathy. Good to have you here. We'll give people a couple minutes to get in here. If you can, since I can't go back and forth between here and uh, Firefox, would you put something in the Druid Skull group that I'm live? I would really appreciate that. I tried this a second ago, and I don't know how many have seen it. Thank you. Going to pour something up here. Thanks.
Welcome. I see more people are coming in. That's very cool. Good to have you all here. Oh, that's good. I hope everyone's having a good evening. As good as possible. Let's kind of pull that out of the way. Trying to... There we go. Much better, much better. Hello, Ashley. Good to have you here. Hello, Emily. Hope everybody can hear me okay. I've adjusted my uh, my uh, microphone. Can y'all hear me okay? Excuse me. Okay, that's cool. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I've done all I can to really get this thing hooked up, but... Uh, I hope that everybody else can hear Ashley and Emily and and Kathy and and whoever else comes in. All right, um, tonight we're just doing this. I've had people that have asked in the past if there was some way that we could uh, uh, possibly do something online because well, not just because of the situation that we're in now, but a lot of people are not in the area here. Uh, that that I am in, so uh, you know we've got people from all different parts of the country, different parts of the world. We've got people in the group from France. We've got people from Germany. We've got people from all different kinds of uh, backgrounds. So it's like I figured with this situation, and if I could get the computer to to uh, hold up and do what it's supposed to, that on occasion we would get together and actually hold some classes you know since the group is missouri druid school it's a good idea that you know we make the best use of the time that we have here and uh just give you a little bit about me first off before we even really get started excuse me pour yourself up a drink 
I'm drinking Dr. Pepper and Secret Seven. It's raining outside. My neighbors are noisy. So if I look up every once in a while, it's because somebody's stomping around and just being a pain in the butt. But anyway, uh, my name is Reverend Savannah Treewalker, otherwise known as Tim. I have been involved in pagan practice since 1993, and I have been involved in juridic worship and practice since 1999. How that came about was in my younger years. Uh, I had my background was in various Christian traditions. I started in my younger years as a Methodist, and as time went on, I had been exposed to other religious traditions. Um, eventually, in my older years, I became part of uh, Christianity. I, I did the whole bit there, and when I did that, I was attached at various times to the Assemblies of God, and also the Church of God of Cleveland, Tennessee, which was one of the original uh, Pentecostal denominations. I don't know how many here have had a Christian background before they uh, came into, you know, paganism and any of your practices. But I spent, before I even became anything close to pagan, I was um, uh, connected to uh, the Pentecostal church for 11 years. And some of the things that kind of drew me into paganism, as it were, is the fact that, you know, even while I was, you know, went to church, uh, I would ask, I would ask the preacher things like, you know, why is this like this, and why does this happen, and stuff like that. And basically, the only answers that I could get from them is, it's in the Bible. Okay. Now there are many different religious texts, many different books out there for all kinds of denominations and, and spiritualities. So everybody has a market on having a book: the Bible, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita. All these different, uh, you know, religious texts are for different people, and that's great. But after a while, you kind of get to the point of, you know, who do you believe? And it was like, you know, I got tired of getting the same old thing. It was like, you know, it's in the Bible, so that's just the way it is. Okay, so fast forward, I moved to where I'm currently located, which is Springfield, Missouri. And uh, I started to meet people. I started to, you know, see different things outside of what was in Christianity. And I was invited in 1993 to my very first Beltane ritual, which it was kind of funny how that came about was I was just, you know, I had friends that were, you know, here that were in town that were pagan. And they said, we're doing this thing out in the woods. Um, it's a ritual celebration. And we have a weekend. And we just bring out the kids and have all kinds of fun. And, you know, that's what we do. And I said, okay, me and a friend of mine will be there, and we'll come and check this out. And we did, and we got there a little bit late. It was in the evening. And we're standing in the parking lot up against our car, and we're watching these people, you know, old and young, uh, holding ritual. And at first, it was like, it was scary. It was like I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what was going on. But the strange thing about it was it was exciting. Um there was I wasn't I wasn't scared of anything. I was just intrigued by what they were doing. You know, what the the you could hear different parts of the ritual going on and so on and so forth. And it was just like it just it was mind it was mind numbing. It was like it was just something that I'd never seen or heard before. 
And so after the ritual, the high priestess and the high priest came up and started talking to us. And then they invited us back to their campfire. And I found out that these people were really cool. Um, and then slowly after that, I started to engage with them. I engaged with the pig community here in the area. And I started to realize that what was, you know, put out by these other denominations and other religious traditions didn't fit me. It didn't work for my situation. Um, so I started to practice uh, witchcraft um, and other traditions. I also practice ceremonial magic, um, uh, a little bit of the OTO tradition, Salima, uh, and some other uh, Western ceremonial magic. And I've been doing that since about 1993 also. Um, and I started to realize that every that religion isn't in a book. It's outside. It's once you step out that door every day to go into the world to be with people, you realize that, you know, this is it. You know, this is what it's about. And you see the people, you see the creatures of the earth, uh, the animals and things that are not just in our city realms, but those that are out in the country and various things. They just became really, it became, it became like a foundation for me. And now, since that time, and, and with it being 2020, I have been pagan now longer than I ever was as a Christian. And hello, I'm getting all the loves. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hope I can, you guys can hear me. I've adjusted things as good as I can. So if there's any sound discrepancies, it's either our net connection or whatever. But thank you for the loves. I really appreciate that. Um, so it's like. I, you know, they say you have an epiphany. You kind of do. It's like, you know, you realize that, you know, the things that the preachers have told you in the past and kind of they, they do it in a very offhand, dismissive kind of, of way. It like it, it, it forces you to kind of think, you know, for yourself that you're not going to just take it as what's being said in a book. And so uh, I was initiated in a coven here in town. My high priestess recently died here uh, a few weeks back, which was very sad. She had stage four breast cancer. She was a very important uh, woman here in the community and she will be missed. But, uh, you know, with her foundation and other people that I've met over the, over the you know, the ensuing uh, 27, 28 plus years that, you know, I've been involved in the community. It's like, this is where I feel that you know, I feel the I feel the most, you know, the most welcome, the most uh, affected by things. And then I kind of started to get into the idea, okay, well, I've done the witchcraft thing. And, you know, as far as those of you who are witches in your practices as well, you know that we get the, the idea of the duality of God and goddess, uh, you know, the, the male principle and the female principle. So you have these various gods and goddesses that are paired together that, you know, make up what our, you know, our witchcraft traditions and things are, you know, through the various years. You've got Freya, Hecate, Caridwen, the whole nine yards. But the thing about that is, though, you get to the point where you're going, okay, you've got the Lord and the Lady. And, uh, you know, what, okay, what's beyond that? You know, what is out there besides just those two figureheads? And you kind of look at it and you go, okay, well, you've got to realize that uh, 
we are a fam we are families. We have families. You have mothers and fathers, sons, aunts, uncles, the whole nine yards. So our family structure is basically like a pantheon. Okay. So I kind of started to look into the idea of like what's beyond just the quote unquote figureheadness of the Lord and Lady that is portrayed in modern paganism and witchcraft. And I came upon uh, some books, which we're going to talk about some of those here in just a little while. Uh, some books that kind of opened my eyes to, um, you know, other traditions outside of what we know uh, are there. Um, in the general pagan witchcraft traditions, you have Alexandrian, Gardnerian, and all these other things. Well, there's stuff that steps outside that circle. And so it's like what's outside that circle is other traditions. You have Azatru, you have Druidry, you have Feriferia, you have uh, Gnostic traditions, you have Western ceremonial magic, you have Nerugd, which is the New, Revo New, Revo New Reformed Orthodox Order of the Golden Dawn, which is a quintessential eclectic tradition of witchcraft, which is found mostly on the West Coast in California. You have traditions for the LGBTQ uh, community that have been going for years. You have root work, you have voodoo, so many things. But I think the thing that uh, did it to me was, you know, knowing that there is more, there's more than just two, okay? There's there's the aunt, the uncle, the mothers, the fathers, the kids, the whole nine yards. So it kind of took me from just looking at the gods as singularities and drove me over into the lane of pantheism. And being the stuff that my family has uh, backgrounds in uh, Irish and Scottish traditions, where I, I have Irish and Scottish in my family, and traditional Old Saxon and stuff like that. There's even a little smidgen of uh, uh, family blood that is tied to Mexico and some of the, uh, you know, South American countries. And that's through some ants and and things that are kind of a little bit further on the side of the family, but they're still there. So it's like everybody were kind of like all of this melting pot. And I started to see Druidry come up in a lot of this. Uh, the traditions of the actual people that were, uh, you know, in Britain, Wales, Ireland, Scotland, the whole nine yards. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This is Druid School. This is the first lesson. And if this does okay, and if you guys want me to continue uh, as, as much as possible, I know that we all have our own uh, life situations that are going on, but we could do this some more. But tonight's class, we're going to talk about who and what were the Druids, and we'll also give you some things that, that will answer some of the questions that a lot of people have that are new to Druidry, that it's like some of the top five, and we'll deal with those. Um, okay. Taking it back to the basic, the basic point is you have the people thousands of years ago that migrated from the east to the west across the European landmass. Uh, this was before the discovery of Britain, before the discovery of Spain, before the discovery of that entire area of the world. And there was a group of people that were migrating in that direction, and they were known as the Keltoi. And when they migrated from the east to the west, they brought with them traditions. Uh, they brought with them, they kind of picked up people as they moved along. Uh, 
Um, if you ever notice that there's a river in Germany called the Danube, it is supposed that our not supposed. It is supposed that the possibility of that the Danube is a Germanized version of Mother Danube, goddess of Tuatha Dé Um So those traditions were built as the groups of people uh, moved across for many, 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 many years. Okay, and eventually they came to the areas that uh, we are uh, talking about as far as being the Celtic lands, which are Ireland, Scotland, Britain, Wales, and certain parts of Gaul and, and stuff like that. And when I talk about, before we get any further, I just want to say this. I don't purport to be any kind of super genius about things. What I do in class, even for our people that are here in the Springfield area, is everything that I tell you is kind of like a little bit of a signpost that you can follow and you know give you impetus to find out things for yourself to study and learn the things that uh, interest you the most about druidry there's so gosh there's so much and that's why there's going to be more classes even for you know in person once we get past this little bump in the road but it's like that's one of the reasons why I enjoy the druidic traditions is because even beyond what people do with witchcraft, when you really look at the depth of druidry on its own, it's, you can just, I mean, in this lifetime, I'm only going to barely scratch the surface, which I like that. I don't want something to be so shallow that, you know, that I, I, I not necessarily want to be a note, not don't want to be a know-it-all, but I want to always be learning. I think that's another thing that is that druidry kind of sparks that in people is the idea of learning about everything uh the plants the trees the ancestors the gods uh your family the whole nine yards which i think is very you know very cool okay so you get to the end also for me there are just to kind of uh, hit a point there are two types of druidry there is a pagan aspected druidry which uh deals more with uh, the gods and pantheons, the earth, the ancestors, the magical side of things. And then you have what I call the philosophical or more uh, theosophical versions of druidry that include Christianized druidry, which is like the, the Church of England and how most of the, their bishops are uh, within the, the uh, druid order of England. Um, a lot of that is, even the Queen is a member of the Druid Order of England, that is mostly ceremonial, but also in the fact that, that in their aspects, Druidry for them is more of a philosophical pursuit, not necessarily a spiritual or pagan one. So whenever I talk about Druidry, I don't talk about those pursuits except for in a historic context, because I don't know about those contexts very much. Um, there are other people that do. And it's like if you can, you know, if that's something that you want to check into, there are many places online that you can get a lot of information about that uh, form of Druidry. Also, for me, uh, looking at the, the way that Druid traditions are looked at from thousands of years ago, especially in Ireland, I also see uh, Druidry as being extantly Celtic. In the idea that you know you have an you have the example of ADF. ADF believes in the proto 
Proto-Indo-European model of Druidry. And what that means is that any, that any group that was part of that migration from the east to the west that hooked up with the Keltoi, um, they were, you know, akin to the Druids. Everybody has, every group has their own spiritual people. Shamans for the Indians, Brahmins for, for the Indian Indians, and so forth. You have all these different groups. And the thing for that is that, you know, like you have Vikings, okay? Vikings have Godies. The Celtic people in, in Scotland and Ireland and to a great uh, extent of like England itself, we have Druids, okay? Well, somebody was saying, well, why can't a Viking Godie be considered a Druid? Anybody can practice any tradition. You can be considered whatever. But if you look at it historically, a Godie is a priest of a Icelandic, Germanic, Nordic tradition, and stuff. You know, it, there, it, there's that distinction. Also, whenever you look at the practices and that the way that the Druids uh, were utilized within Irish culture, and one of the things that we'll do in classes here online is we'll talk about some of the books uh, that tell stories like the the Tain. Uh, the Battle of the Trees and various things that tell about the traditions that kind of stamp those 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 druidic situations to the Irish and to the Celts in general, and not so far spread out that everybody else out in that part of the Western Western Europe and the world was druids. They were spiritual people, but to to me, but not everybody is in that vein is a druid. Because of the you know the functions that Druids had in Ireland, there was a difference between that and what you would find um, elsewhere. Okay, so and we're going to get into those denominations of what Druidry was back then here in just a second. Um, before I continue, just want to make a check. Can everybody hear me? Okay, send me a shout out or love or something just so that I know that. Uh, Everything's functioning, and then we'll get on to the next point. And I appreciate everybody being here on a night that the way it is. It's still raining out there pretty much. So if this thing goes off, you know that we got lightning out. But but anyway, okay, I'm assuming everybody can hear okay still. All right. So to kind of break it down, you take you take the way that Irish society was thousands of years ago, okay? And the... Thank you. Very cool. Hey, no anger. That's not cool. Uh, be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Thank you, guys. Um, the Druids in Celtic society were very, very, very important. Okay. Um, there, was, there was definitely a caste system uh, even in those times. Just as an example, uh, the equality of, of people. That's another reason why I like Druidry so much. There was an equality of people. As an example, in those times when Ireland was newly coming together, you know, even in a mythological sense, you have the men and women and tribes that were, you know, moving throughout the island itself. And the thing that was cool was men and women were equal. Women could own property, women could own cattle, women could own uh, any kind of wealth. Um, women could be judges. Women could hold any kind of office that a man could. Another thing that was 
pretty cool was that uh, let's say that one clan was going to go fight another clan okay if the wife saw the husband getting all of his gear and getting ready to go and he's taking off and he goes honey I'll be back in two weeks take care of the house the wife could say no I'm going to get my stuff and I'm coming with you there's nothing he could say about it she would be allowed to uh, you know come with him another thing is that like uh, the the status of druids was they were advisors to kings they were seers they were leaders of ritual at, at high days um, and they were venerated to the point that between various clans and tribes uh, they would be allowed to pass freely in other words you take one point of Ireland and you go all the way down to the bottom and let's say there's a high king up here in the in, in the north of you know say Belfast or whatever and he wanted to send a druid all the way down to the the southern tip of the island he could literally send that druid through and he would be unmolested throughout the whole thing he would you know because that's just the way law was you weren't allowed to uh, give grief to a druid on his travels because of the importance that the people held held towards them okay then you have the druids themselves <coughs> excuse me time for a drink hope everybody's having a good evening There were three divisions of druids, and they went like this. There was the druid priests of the clans. You had the ovate seers. Then you had the bards, and each one of those denominations had their own different things that were important to Celtic society. So we'll start with the one that uh, everybody loves the most, one of the ones that everybody loves the most, and we'll start with the bards. The bards in Celtic society are kind of like the ancient version of the news, the newspaper, the TV, whatever you want to call it. Bards would go from clan to clan, from place to place, and after seeing battles and these various different things, they could go to a certain clan, and join them for a meal and regale them with tales of how two chiefs fought and and you know they had a, a, a wild battle and one defeated the other and it was so epic and they did it with song and they did it with poetry and they did it with story um for the longest time it is supposited that uh celtic culture and history was never written down because not just a lack of, of a written language, the closest thing that they had later on after they did develop something was the Ogham. But even before then, it was that everything was an oral tradition. And who was the ones that kept the oral traditions? Those were the bards. Also, uh, another thing that is kind of historic that people know about or may not know about is that back in... It, well, okay, the way Druidry ties to modern pagan tradition. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll give you an example. If any of you are initiated witches, uh, a lot of covens will follow a Druidic practice of um, having an initiate or a would-be initiate come to their group, come to their group, and say, "Okay, if you want to be initiated into this coven, then you have to work with us for a year and a day." And then at the end of that year and a day, we will 
sit down and or get close as it gets closer to that year in a day we will sit down and figure out if this is the group that you want to continue with if this is the study that you want to continue with and when the time comes we will come together and acknowledge you uh, to man and to the gods to show that you are a part of us and that you're part of the tradition and that you're learning the mysteries and moving forward in that so that tradition of a year and a day was originally installed or instituted within Druidry. And what would happen is uh, a lot of times back in the ancient times, there would be uh, uh, people, men and women, that had gifts or had insight or were very smart and learned and just that seemed to be uh, a little bit beyond the ordinary, even for the way some of the clans were. And uh, let's say one young man, he, the, they, they know that he has these various gifts. So he would go to the clan druid and he says, okay, I would like to study with your college. Back then they, would call, they, they didn't call it a college, but they had uh, various kind of like teaching groups of druids that would kind of like take people on um, and, you know, groom them to whatever purpose that they needed to use them for uh, within the clan as a mediator, healer, whatever they were good at, they would, you know, they would put them to use. Everybody had that opportunity. And when they came before these, uh, you know, more established and, uh, uh, you know, status druids, they would say, can I join you? And he would say, okay, well, here's the situation. Um, we can teach you, but we're going to give you a year and a day. And at the end of that year and a day, if we do not feel that you are appropriate for this, we will just, you know, tell you and possibly the clan chief that he needs to stay over here and just continue his life as a member of this clan and this tribe. But he isn't necessarily, you know, up to snuff to be a part of this or at the end of that time, you would come to the, the Druid and the Druid would say, okay, we do see that you are, you know, in touch with the gods or in touch with the ancestors or in touch with the animal spirits or whatever. And the, they would, you know, bring them into the order and teach them all the way through the rest of their lives if, if you know, if that was the case. And that's where we also get the um, deal of, the teaching of a druid uh, and you know there are some places that suppose that you would come to the druid of the clan or whatever and he would take you into a grove and he would say okay your training starts today I'm going to uh, recite something to you and I want you to voice it back to me so he would give him a few sentences about the lore of the area or whatever, whatever it is that he had to tell his, this, you know, this uh, student. And the student would parrot it back to him, tell him exactly what he said. This is called the quatrains. And what quatrains did was, uh, it suppose that, you know, uh, it's, it's just as much of a legend as to whether or not it was true that this happened or not. We don't really know. But it is said that um, some traditions would have the, uh, young druid uh, uh, acolyte come and every day he would have to pair it back not only that sentence or, or sentences that he was told but more 
and more and more and it was said that this went on for as long as 20 years and uh, that was just one facet of uh, any druids training that could be possible um, many people today the one thing I love about Celtic culture is we have those that are harpists that play guitar that are singers that are poets um, and it's just like I think that the bardic side of things excuse me my nose is very itchy tonight. there are just so many things that are uh, beautiful about being in the in the bardic arts um, the storytelling the poetry how many here um, put a thumbs up or whatever how many here have sung in choir in, in high school or have a notebook at home where they have written poetry or stories or written fantasy stories you know that you never really showed to a friend or whatever that if you've done anything like that that part is a very good sign that you have uh, a bardic inspiration part to yourself and so that's how that goes and there are traditions that are very very tied to uh, bardic inspiration in the United States and in Ireland actually there's a couple of them that are located on uh, on YouTube there's a couple that are located directly on Facebook which I'll start posting some of those into the uh, our Missouri Jewish School uh, page and give you guys some more information about that now we go from the bard side and men and women this is like I say men and women could be uh, in any of this so it's like there was no uh, discrimination in that vein so we move to the next which is the ovate seers and the ovates uh, were kind of a dual purpose type of, of uh, section of druidic society they served many purposes um, they were seers in, div in divination into the ancestors they would do divination for the towards the gods uh, they did spell work for the clans and various things so uh, they were very oriented towards what was the future they had the site if you've ever heard of the second site most of the people that are in that category if you've had the Irish granny that had the second site or if you might have the second site then you are more geared towards a seership an ovate seer so you have that you know you have that divinatory kind of uh, inboard thing that's built into you on that side of it then on the other side you have the more naturist side of the uh, ovate seer which is knowing what plants were medicinal what plants were baneful um, connection to the animals of your area uh, the best places to find plentiful fish um, knowing what what things were healthy what things weren't um, so there was a very big healing aspect of um, the ovate seers and to a degree also in various tribes ovate seers could be also at times called to be midwives 
there would be those that were regular women of the tribe that would be trained but for you know also all, all intents and purposes the <clears throat> excuse me the ovate seers could be considered and utilized within Celtic society as um, midwives uh, they and and also I'll say this you know through my um, studies myself that I believe that each denomination of Druid, whether it's the Ovate Seer, the Bard, or the Druid proper, are all equally as magical. They all did various things because, you know, I've had some people say that, you know, Druidry doesn't have a magic component to it. Now, the that philosophical type that I was talking about earlier kind of doesn't, okay? And that's, you know, that's their purpose and that's their thing. But when you take it as a... Uh, tradition and a path in paganism, well, of course, we're going to be geared more towards magical practice and philosophy. That's what I am, as, and, you know, as long as that I've been. Uh, and just another little thing about me is uh, my background. Uh, I was also, uh, just kind of to, to side off on this, I formed the Order of the Standing Oak here in Springfield in the, the summer of 2000. And before that, for three years, I was a member of the Henge of Keltria. And I think of that background with Keltria and, uh, you know, getting started back then kind of helped things a lot because there was a lot of active Druid groups in, in the United States and in England. There was the ADF, there was the Red Branch Druids, there was the BDO, OBOD, um, and so on and so forth. So there was a lot there to... Uh, have as uh, a support and a background. There's a bunch that had kind of gone under since then, but it's like we still have resources to use, you know, even though time has changed and caused, you know, various things to, uh, you know, you know, go away over time. So anybody that's out there, it's like uh, if you're in an area where there is a drug group, Check them out. Give them a chance. You know, look into them, of course, for your own safety and mental health and that kind of thing. But if everything seems copacetic, um, you know, a lot of people won't practice Druidry because they are afraid, you know, they're afraid of social situations. Don't be afraid, you know, unless you just want to stay a solitary, then, you know, that's an option too. But if you like the camaraderie of people that are following the same path as you are, then it is... You know, it's it's a good it's a good idea to get out there and see what other people are doing and how how it can affect your life. Because for me, you know, as you know, as a human, our situation like right now is not necessarily the best. But even then, I can say with uh, pretty much certainty that you know, being a druid and doing what I am and have been for twenty plus something years. I'm not as freaked out as everything everybody is about this, and I think it's because I understand we as pagans and we as spiritual practitioners understand that life is a cycle, life is changing, um, and there's some things that we can slow down and some things that we can't, and some people don't like that. They don't like the idea of being out of control, okay? and. I just look at it this way. It's like I know that I'm not a perfect being, but whenever I leave this body and go into the next incarnation, that it's all good because 
you know, we get the chance to fix, to right the wrongs, to fix the things that were broken, um, to learn the lessons that we didn't learn before. And that's another thing that's like I, what I like about Driv philosophy is that, you know, the other world, and we're going to get into some of these things that I'm talking about uh, over time, but so it's like there is a, a comfort to it. You know, some people say, well, pagans don't have faith. Yes, we do. We just don't, we just don't throw it in your face on Sunday mornings on channel 25, you know, for an hour and a half. Uh, we don't do that. We put it into action. We get out there and we live it with our families and our friends and the people, the other pagans that we interact with. So you've got the first two, which I've talked about, which are the bards. And then we have the, the Sierra Ovates, which are the kind of like the, the TV news, that kind of thing. And then you have the healers and those that look into the future. And then you have what I consider the one that kind of keeps, that keeps it all together, that, that makes it a very cohesive situation. Okay. And that's the Druid priests. And the Druid priests are the ones that have, uh, set things up over time as to like whenever Ireland very first became, they are the ones that said the gods are like the Fae after the invasions. And we'll get into some of the folklore things about how the Tuatha Dé Danann became how they were and what they were. But the Druid priests were the Druid priests were the ones who said, this is what we need to do for our people. This is what we need to do for our Kings. Um, we need to set these things up. We need to uh, follow the examples of our heroes and the ancestors and the gods. And so they kind of got everybody in place uh, all over the island, the entire the entirety of Ireland itself. They were the ones that got the the uh, the laws, the Brehon laws, which we'll talk about that in in, in event eventually. Um, they kind of started writing, not writing down, but portraying to the people the other druids that were underneath them and around them about the the spiritual tradition itself the the things that they kind of oversaw what the seers were doing they kind of over over overlooked and saw what the bards were doing and they kind of helped teach them some of those kind of like a jack of all trades um but they were just as spiritual and maybe a little bit more so because they kind of had to be. They had to be the glue that held the society together. And they were greatly respected. The people, uh, you know, they respected their clan druids. They were important. And I think that's one thing, you know, uh, within pagan traditions today, there is, I've seen sometimes where there are groups that don't necessarily give their uh, high priests and priestesses uh, the respect that they deserve. I've seen people that have been upset that a ritual was longer than 15 minutes. Why are we watching our clocks whenever we're worshiping the gods? Everything, our lives are going to be there when we're done with circle. So why would you get upset at, against at your spiritual person, the one that you look to for your tradition, why are you going to be upset that a ritual went longer than 15 minutes? Okay. Um, you know, they're there for you. Okay. And I think that's the thing about the Irish people in those times is they understood that the, that the Druids were important and they gave them the respect that they deserved. 
And over the thousands of years that things developed and came together uh, for them, it made Ireland stronger um, and richer in tradition, in story, in the stories of the gods. And I'm going to give you just kind of a brief breakdown of who the gods are. Okay. Um, the gods are a pantheon. Pantheon, for a lot of people, they don't understand it. So I break it down in two ways. One, a pantheon is a family, uh, a family that is pertinent to a culture. As an example, the Tuatha is the pantheon of the Irish people. Um, the Greek gods are the pantheon of the Romans, the Italians, and so forth. You have, and then you go on from there, you have each cultural group has their group of gods and goddesses that are pertaining to them. And within those, they have their own stories, their own lore, their own magic, their own traditions, that whole thing. That's a pantheon. Then you break it down into something pagans understand a little bit better is the way things are now on this planet, the way we do things now. And that's the tribal aspects. The tribal aspects is not the fact that it's, uh, you know, uh, the family thing. A tribe is a group of closely knit people that have each other's backs. As an example of that, you have like one tribe on this part of Ireland and another part of this Ireland has another tribe. And let's say they don't get along. When those two tribes fight, it's not just like, you know, some of them will come up to the battlefield and the rest are going to stay home and, you know, just hope things go okay. Tribes are strongly knit enough that whenever you're going to have a battle, <coughs> excuse me, they're going to come together. Everybody's going to come together that can and fight until there is, you know, a resolution to the battle. Okay. Um, and pagans now, there are people that in paganism that aren't necessarily the best. Every religious tradition has people that are bad apples that don't, that are not uh, conducive to doing things the way that we want. But on the other side of that coin is we have people in paganism that are rock solid. They have your back at all times. And there are groups that are like that. I've seen covens and groves and other in other traditions where if somebody's car broke down, they somebody within that group would loan them a car until they could get their car fixed or paid off or or whatever you know because that tribal aspect of having everybody's back was in effect and i think the one thing that is good about that is because it shows that we've learned from the past we've seen what some of the tribal aspects do coming from way back in you know the celtic history ireland and, and so forth and as, as an example of that, the tribal, the tribal aspect in Ireland is something that has let Ireland survive. Um, a little story I like to tell, there's two things. For one, a lot of people do not know that there was a period in time where the Vikings were coming through the, the sea areas there, and they were going through to, quote, unquote, try to conquer Greenland and Iceland. They're kind of over there in that area. Well, Going in that direction, you kind of come across Ireland by default, okay? And there was a time when the Vikings came up on the, the island, and they were very surprised and very, um, uh, you know, 
enamored with how uh, much like them the Celts were. So there wasn't any direct idea of like, oh, well, we're going to come in and, and conquer these dudes. No, they didn't do that. They said, we like you. As a matter of fact, we would like to be able to trade and possibly set up some settlements here so that we can refuel, get things that we need for our journey, and continue onward in our conquest of Greenland and these other places. And the Celts said, cool. And when that happened, there are uh, aspects that have been put in museums, and there's some beautiful workings that you can find in some of the Google images and stuff of Celtic knotwork, torques, um, wristlets, armor, um, uh, food, uh, you know, uh, home items, and things that were a mixture of Celtic craftsmanship and Viking craftsmanship. Craftsmanship. So there, there were things where the Vikings did have influence on the Celts at, at the time that they were there uh, on the island as they were making their way to the conquests that they were, you know, trying to do in uh, Greenland and Iceland. So, you know, the Celts had their respect that way. Then we look at the idea of everybody knows about the Roman conquest, okay? Well, looking at the way that the Romans at that time with Caesar and the various Roman emperors, they wanted to expand the Roman Empire to cover the entire world. They wanted to go as far as they can. They wanted to go for broke. And they went to Britain to start off with. And they did kind of uh, definitely make an impact there. Uh, they slaughtered the Druids at Anglesey um, because they knew that the British Druids at Gaul and various places had a lot of sway over the English people that were there and the emperor said, well, we can get rid of the Druids. They're kind of leaderless. They don't have a compass. They don't have anybody that can really, you know, get them going, but they did have a leader. Her name was Boudicca, Boudicca of the Iceni. And at that time, London or Londinium as it was called then, uh, was under siege by the Romans. And they were using it as a means of drawing Boudicca and her armies out and to, you know, to get them out and to be able to, you know, just take over just instantaneously. Well, unfortunately, um, there was a battle that happened. And at that time, the difference between an itinerant Celtic warrior versus a Roman, Romans fought tactically. They fought they were very war-minded in the tactics of of taking down large numbers and large groups of people at one time the celts on the other hand they were about force and strength and just using bravery and all of their might and just hoping that that would take down their foe well in this instance it didn't help okay so at that time, um, Boudicca and her armies <clears throat> were wiped out, basically, in just one big fell swoop. They were taken out by um, the Romans. So you look at that whole large island of England proper, it has been decimated by what the Romans did. It had been basically taken over. Then you go across the water, and you have Ireland sitting there, okay? 
and they were on a different kind of wavelength compared to the rest of of the the UK at that time, that whole general area. Okay, and at that time they were still just as warlike as anybody else, but there was a there's some marked differences that were going on with that. So the next part of the story that comes up with this is there's a young boy sitting on a hill and he is taking care of his father's sheep and the sheep are doing their thing and he's looking over the the edge there and he looks out across the water and he sees a skiff coming and then even a little uh, further distance away is you see a roman ship actually two roman ships but the skiff is coming and there's men in it and he goes well what's what's going on who are these guys and uh, the skiff, they were just sending it as a crew to check out the island, check out the landing areas, see where they could get in at. And then after that, they thought, okay, well, we're going to go in and we'll get a force here and take this island over too. Well, the story's changed on that. So the young man goes down there and uh, the situation kind of evolves over time. And back on those two ships that are out there waiting for a report from the, the skiff that they sent out, uh, the skiff that they sent out doesn't come back. So what they end up doing is sending out another skiff. And they send it out, and the, the, the men are coming up on the landing area where they can get to. And up on the hill overlooking this, there's a big tree. Um, very stark, very few leaves. Uh, it's not springtime yet. It's still very stark and very cold weather in this portion and part of the, of the island itself of Ireland. And as they pull up closer, what they can see is body parts, um, limbs, uh, you know, in, in, entrails and all these different things uh, hanging in the tree. And this young shepherd, 16, 17 years old, standing on that uh, uh, hill next to the tree, naked and painted in woad. Well, these guys said, no, 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 no. We're going to turn around and we're not coming back because it basically scared the shit out of them. That one young Celtic boy could take out 12 Romans. Now, whether this is, you know, historical, that's you know, to be debated. But the thing that is not to be debated is the fact out of that entire region, uh, you know, regardless, Ireland is the only island in UK proper that has never been conquered by any form of Roman. The Vikings didn't mess with them. The Romans didn't mess with them. Nobody, there was nobody that ever came along and conquered the Irish until we had to deal with Patrick. For the, some of the questions that people have about Druidry, here's one thing. I always get the question, what's the difference What's the difference between Druidry and Wicca? And I'm going to give it to you as simple as I can, okay? Um, like I said before, Druidry is pantheistic, or it tends to be. Not everybody, There's not everybody's a pantheist Druid. Uh, there's just as many flavors as there is anything else. Wicca, or the, the off flavors of witchcraft, tend to be duocentric or tied to the dual which is male and female properties um 
Also, the ritual situation is a lot different. In Wicca and witchcraft, you, you deal with the, the, the polarity, yin and yang, light and dark, male and female, god and goddess, these different things. Also, in a lot of traditions, uh, the Lord and Lady tend to be archetypes in the mind, stuff that you just envision in your head, and that's what you're using for to raise energy and to work magic and to do these other things. In Druidry, it t and also magic in, in Wicca and stuff tends to be small group oriented, very, uh, you know, shorter rituals, very much spell-based, spell-intuitive, spell uh, things like that. It's, it's, it's a whole different kind of magical tradition that way. Now you go to the Druidic side, and this is, you know, even for modern traditions, it's been this way for many, many years also is Druidry tends to be inclusive. We're not necessarily, in, we're not in Baker's Woods dancing around the fire at midnight being secretive. We invite people to see what the earth is about. We invite people to see what the gods are. We invite them to understand and to learn about Druidic tradition so we don't hide anything. Everything is we put it out there in front of you and let you decide if this is, you know, something that you groove with you know and some people are there just for the ritual and other people are there to learn the other thing is like i say druidry tends to be pantheistic dealing with many gods um also we worship trees um uh and, and that word worship people don't like it but we do there are situations where we are venerating the living being that are trees we do um, we venerate the ancestors. They are very important in our magic, and the reason why that is is because those are the people that we learn from. Also, um, being the fact that we are a tradition that believes in reincarnation, uh, there's something called the Anamkara, which is the Celtic Oversoul. One soul, many incarnations. And so being a tradition that is dialed into ancestor worship, we take that into account whenever we have Samhain. That is our time when the veil is thin to honor our ancestors. Um, there are various other times of the year where we'll do ritual work uh, that honors the ancestors, not just our physical ancestors that have gone on, but the ancestors of society that has gone since the very first beginnings of cavemen onwards to now, to the ancestors that are out there before the formation of the world. And so, uh, you know, and, Druid, and Druidry, the, the rituals can be a little bit longer than Wiccan rituals. A Wiccan ritual can be 15 minutes. A Druid ritual can be as long as a normal church service, 45 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes. Sometimes it deals with not just magical things, but there might be discussions about uh, naturist things in the area, uh, various traditions uh about you know uh an area or a region so we're not tied down to you know we have to have ritual done quick we do it because we want to honor the gods to honor ourselves to honor everything so we tend to not watch the clock we try to be as inclusive as possible um also there's differences in the initiations um uh, people say, well, you know, why do I have to study to be a Druid? 
well, why do you have to go to school to learn how to work on a car? Now, yes, there are shade tree mechanics that are just as good as any guy that has gone to school, but the only thing is, though, if you go to school and you study and you learn some of those things, how to be the ASE certified, whatever it is that you're working on a car, you're better at it. Or you can be better at everybody's capacity and abilities are different. But it's like that's one of the things. It's an initiatory tradition. <clears throat> the same way, to a degree, the way Wicca is. Uh, the difference is with that is, you know, there are differences in the fact that we have the bards, we have the ovates, and we have the druids. In Wiccan traditions, you come in as a neophyte. Then you go first degree. Then you go second degree. Then you go third degree. And if you get past third degree, you become either a high priest or high priestess or your of your coven or of your tradition. In the case of Alexandrian or Gardnerian or Blue Rose or uh, any of these other Wiccan traditions that have been around forever. So there's kind of delineates that. But the other thing is like some people get hung up on the initiation part of things. And you really shouldn't. All it is is two things. The first thing an initiation is it shows that you're dedicated to the study and practice of the spirituality that you're engaged with standing in that circle. And it's saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. This is how I want to go through the rest of my incarnations. This is what I want to do. The second part of that, it's the connection. It sets the voltage, the connection between you and the gods. Okay. It's, I can bring you in for an initiation ceremony and initiate you into the order itself. But the initiation doesn't come from me. It comes from the gods. It's a connection. It's a experience. All religious practice, uh, spirituality, is something that is in tune to you. You know, everybody else around you uh, is having a different experience. They may be part of the same tradition, but everybody's practice and everybody's experience is different. So when people ask, why do I need to be initiated? You don't have to. That's, you don't have to. But when you do, those things are happening. One, you're being shown that the group is acceptive of you and that this is what you want to move into. And also, it's showing that you are connected to the gods. And, you know, the studying for Druidry goes on for a long time. Some people, and I've seen this before, some people have come into witchcraft traditions, mind you, and they are asked by the high priest and priestess, well, we've got this, this, and this going on. If you want to initiate into your first degree, then you have to get such and such a book, uh, maybe do a certain amount of hours of, of community service, and these other things, which kind of, in Druidry, we have a couple of those things as well. And, you know, so this is just to see how dedicated, when they put you into this stuff, whether it's like reading a book or, or volunteering or whatever, it's they're not doing it to, you know, be the big bad, you know, making you do something. They're testing you to see what your dedication is to the craft, to the tradition, and to the gods. So if you want to be initiated into your coven, that first degree, and you won't read the book or you won't do the two or three hours, of, of community service, then what's the use of you being there, you know? I mean, you could just as easily be a solitary witch and do your own thing, and a lot of people are, millions of people are solitary witches. Not, well, maybe millions. And there's a lot of people that are solitary druids. But 
we do do our own work solitarily. You know, whenever we leave the, the Covenstead or whenever we leave the Grove, we go home to our families and we do our own personal magic. We do our own personal spiritual work. But whenever we come back from home and we're back in the Grove and we're back in the Covenstead, there's the thing that makes it so good and the reason why I do Druid School and the reason why I do the Order of the Standing Oak is because everybody's together. Their energy, their thoughts, their intentions add to the will of the magic, the will of working for the gods, the will of taking care of nature, the will of taking care of each other, our kids, our family, our grandparents, that whole nine yards. So, yeah, there are disadvantages for certain things for, you know, doing, um, uh, you know, just doing your own thing. Some people are great at doing solitary. I'm not great at doing solitary. I don't know how many of you are solitary practitioners of your traditions, but it's like for me, it's after a while, you kind of want to be in the presence of your brothers and sisters of your tradition because it empowers you. It gives you the pur purpose. It gives you abilities, uh, you know, because you're always learning. I don't know everything, but somebody like Sean in the group and other Druid groups that I talk to on Facebook and other actual Druid people that I know out there in the world, they tell me things daily that I've never known before. And it's something that we can soak up into ourselves and make it a part of our tradition. Um, also, getting ready to take this down. I don't want to hold everybody on too long. But also, whenever we do these classes, I'm going to make recommendations. Because a lot of people go, well, what about books? You know, everybody likes to read. So what are some books that we should read? Well, I'll tell you about one, and I'll show you one. One of the first books that I recommend that people to kind of get an idea about Druidry in general, and you can order it on Amazon, and you can get it as cheap as like five bucks, I think. It's a book called The Druids by Peter Beresford Ellis. Um, it's very good. It's, it's not too wordy. It's understandable, and it gives you an idea about the background of Druidry in general, not just the Celtic side of things, but Druidry around the world and how it came up into, you know, the modern day in the way that we have it now. And another book that I recommend is, see if we can get this to focus right here, The Apple Branch by Alexei Kondratiev, A Path to Celtic Ritual. And put that up there again, so. That, that right there for me was one of the first books that I ever read that really explained why druids do things at certain times of the year, that why certain gods and goddesses and things are tied into the various druidic traditions, um, and what, you know, what it can be. There are rituals in that book. There are various, it, it, there's a lot of teaching. There is ritual in there that you can use, but there's a lot of teaching that makes sense. Unfortunately, Alexei has passed away, and eventually Alexei wrote something called the Lord Keeper's Course. And for those that want to initiate into the order, whenever that time comes around for those individuals, they take the Lord Keeper's Course. That's one of the things that we do. And this man is very, very learned about the things that make pantheistic 
God's the God's base type of druidry that isn't you know the the theosophical brand of druidry very important there's a bunch more books I'm going to put up a list on the druid school page and so that way you can go um, also for as a side note for a little time there I was a uh, blogger I had my own well I still have my own blog but I had a radio show called Pagan Perspectives on Blog Talk Radio. And there was a portion of time when I did that, that I was a reviewer for Red Will Weiser. I reviewed their occult books. And that's how I was able to interview Dr. Raymond Buckland, who, was, who passed away. Um, I interviewed Raven Gramasi, who's passed away um, and stuff. So it was a great honor to be able to talk to these people. But everybody that I had come into contact with over that time, um, I think that not just as a druid, but as a pagan and as a man and as a person in general, I think studying and learning about something that interests you, like everybody that's listening may not, may have little tinglings that, you know, druidry is something that they want to look into and, you know, they'll do a little bit and, um, you know, that's great. And then there's other people that want to just dive off the diving board and hit the deep end and just run and go with it. And that's wonderful. Those, you know, those people that are out there, they have, they have the blessings of the gods with them because they're going to find out some great things. So before I set things up about what's going to be for the next class, if anybody has any questions, go ahead and type them out and I'll do my best to answer them for you for a couple minutes. And then I'll see just before just before that. So, would uh, would anybody like to have more of these classes done like this, the uh, online Facebook type of thing? Because you know, getting together here because of the situation that we're in, we can't really have you know people coming together for class the way that I used to. But if you are out there and in various times of the week, I can put more classes together. This was just something I wanted to test the waters, see what folks that were part of the Druid School page thought of it. But this is, if this is something that you would like to see continue, we can do this. Also, the idea for the next class is going to be, okay, so we talked about what Druidry is to an extent. We're going to go into that a little bit deeper when we're going to talk about the gods. We're going to talk about the Pantheon. We're going to talk about Ireland itself. And we're going to talk about how they... In themselves how the pantheon the tuatha kind of brings it all together and there's a lot to talk about because that's one thing that in druidry we take to the to you know our hearts is that we look at the gods as individual beings uh for he she it whatever they are we give them credence of being real we don't put them up here in our mind uh we work with them the way they are we would work with them the way we would with an uncle or a brother or whatever we give them respect and honor in that sense that we don't relegate them to be an archetype some people do that that's their thing but druids tend to uh, give them a little bit more you know respect by at least thinking you know you could be real what's to say that they're not you know we exist we shouldn't be here so in saying that why can't the gods be real why aren't they why can't they not be archetypes in our head I think that they are more than just a thought pattern that somebody thought to, you know, explain why we have rain or thunder or why the stags fight each other in the woods and those various things. I think pagans have the right idea by 
following the mythological traditions and the spiritual traditions that have been brought up over the centuries. And, you know, in America and around the world right now, there's a pagan reawakening. And I like it. And I hope y'all like it because it gives us something to work with and to work towards. So let me get some thumbs up or some loves or something. Let me know what you think about the idea of classes. And if I see a couple and stuff, I'll put up a schedule. And, you know, I, I know that everybody can't be in everything, but I want to give those that are interested a chance to learn a little bit more. And if you have any questions about things that I've talked about that you don't want to put here, go into Missouri Druid School and you can post them in there. Or catch me on Facebook. Feel free to friend me. Feel free to message me if you have questions. And I will do my best to answer them for you. Or if I'm not able to, then I will, like, you know, try to answer them in some form and, and give you a way to, you know, help yourself answer the questions that you have. Um, let's see, what's today? Thursday? Would you guys be good with it, like, on Thursday, uh, on another Thursday or Friday? Does this work as a good time, or is there days that you guys would prefer it? Because right now, as long as this situation is happening, uh, except for a couple things that I have to do at various times during the week, I'm at home until I absolutely have to go out. And I've got my internet paid up, so there's no problems there. I've got everything covered. But if you guys would like to, I will continue this. And I appreciate everybody that's come in, to the ladies and gentlemen that have showed up. Tell your friends, anybody that's interested. Also, tell them about Druid School. Let them know that, you know, that there is somebody in the area uh, of, of, you know, Facebook that is doing this kind of thing, that's disseminating the information out there, because there's not a lot of places that are doing it anymore, except for if you go to Llewellyn or maybe your local bookstore, you're not really finding a lot of people that are telling you about Druidic traditions. So that's another reason why we do this. And last thing before I sign off, hopefully... Uh, if all of this stuff goes over, and to God's willing, I'm hoping it will. For those of you that are in the Springfield area, on Saturday, May 7th, or excuse me, Saturday, May 2nd, from 2 o'clock to 8 p.m., we will be holding Belting in the Park 2020. This is our fourth year. I secured the pavilion. We have space for 165 people. Um, this year's theme is... Fairies at Twilight. This is going to be a fairy ritual. Um, if they don't put a number restriction on how many people can gather, here in Springfield right now, they don't want more than 100. So, and out of that 165 that have put themselves down on the list, I think we could still have as much as 50, 60, maybe even 70. We were going to have a, a potluck, but due to safety concerns and things like that, we don't have to have a, a potluck. We can have it where people bring their own snacks and, and things that they can have for a meal. But we are going to have ritual. Ritual, if, if this goes on, God's willing, at uh, 7 p.m., just about twilight. And I've got the altar and everything ready to go. I have the ritual is halfway uh, written. And one of our members is going to be playing the role of the Queen of the, of the Fairies. And she's a beautiful young woman, and she is a 
being into cosplay and making things very uh, arts and craftsy. And she goes, yeah, I'm working on it right now. And I go, I hope so, because I'm working and work magic, work that this stuff goes away, send out as much energy you can that this people stop dying and the whole nine yards and that we can get back to a semblance of having a society again. But I say this to you, you know, don't take any chances, take care of yourselves, take care of your family. Don't put yourselves in any dangerous situations uh, unless you have to go out to get food like the rest of us will have to at some point or another. But anything else that you don't need to do, please be safe. You know, think about your families. They need you too. That's why I'm here except for whenever I have to. And I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, we will have another class. I'll put up a thing. Um, probably we'll do it on Thursday or Friday. Because that way I've got stuff going on during the week with family and situations that are going on because of this. So I think Thursday or Fridays for just an hour or however long, fix a drink, which I'm going to take another drink. Uh, Dr. Pepper and Seagram's. But, I mean, this is for us. I want to do as much as I can to help you. Also, if things are starting to get to you, as I, I believe in my role as a priest to people, that you know sometimes life can suck and you can get scared and you can get worried and you get tired and depressed and all these different things if you need to message me leave a message in the thing and say hey can i talk to you for a minute um and i'll gladly do that you know i'll help anybody because you know this is going to be frustrating for a little bit and sometimes you don't have anybody directly to use as a sounding board and you will yank your hair out i understand that i get the same way I'm Irish. I get very pissy and, arr, you know, I just want to, I want to eat cardboard, but I don't do it. I just look at it and go, the gods have got this. I can do a lot better than letting, letting my heart rate get up because of a situation that I can't control. And for those that are out there, I just ask that every night, if you can, light a candle, send that energy out there that people are going to be safe. Kids are going to be safe. The elderly are going to be safe. That we are going to be safe. And that we will get through this in, in peace and that we'll get to hug each other and have a good time and just continue on with existence. Because this is just a little bump in the road, you know. I, you know, it seems bad, but I think that a society that we're going to get through this. And I think as pagans, we're going to help each other get through this. So if you ever need me, let me know. I, I mean, I'll talk to you. I'll, I'll, you know, try to help you get through your situation as best as I can as a priest, you know. I've been doing this for a while. I've talked through people with people with, you know, bad marriages and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, it's like sometimes you need to have an objective ear. And if you need me, I can do that. So I'm going to get ready to click this off. I appreciate everybody. Put up some loves and all that stuff if you want to. To the ladies and to the gentlemen, I appreciate this. In lesson two, we're going to be talking about the gods next week sometime. Keep an eye out in Druid School, and like I say, any questions or whatever, send them my way. And I am going to end the video, and I'm going to, you know what, before we end, how about we do this? I want everybody to take a deep breath and close your eyes. I'm going to. We're going to take a deep breath, and we're going to chant the Ah Win three times. And we'll talk about the Ah Win uh, as, a, as a Druidic symbol in our next class, but for right now. What I want you to do is close your eyes and just kind of clear your mind for a minute. And I want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to inhale. 
And then when you exhale, I want you to chant all win, and we're going to do it three times. Ready? Uh, Awesome. I love you all. Blessings of the old gods to you and yours. Have a great night, and I will see you next time.